BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Tribune Audio Network. This is the Crazeology Podcast. Since 1981, Ken Burns has been making documentaries, 32 of them to be exact, which is an insane number if you think about it. I think the more impressive thing is not the number, but the subjects. Burns doesn't really use a theme or a topic. He just makes great documentaries. Many people have seen his films about baseball, jazz, the national parks, and several others. He was even bringing awareness about the Central Park Five seven years before the Netflix series was made. His latest documentary is called Country Music and has a lot of people talking about the early years of country before it was invaded by pop stars. When people like Patsy Cline, Johnny Cash, and Hank Williams were household names. I think what most people don't realize is there are still some bands that stick to the traditional style of country. Obviously, they updated a little bit with some modern flair, but the sounds are still similar. Today, I'm talking with one of those artists, the Kansas City Cowboy himself, Dusty Rust. I've known the artist personally for about three years now, and with the talk of Ken Burns' new work coming out, I thought it would be the perfect time to bring Dusty in and talk about it. But before we get to our conversation, let's listen to a song by Dusty Rust. This is Don't Wanna Go to Heaven. Well, oh, don't you know there's a deep dark hole called hell where all the bad people go. I might be going there myself Soon as I lose all of my hair And though demons come and take away my soul Cause I've been here from angels sang While plucking on old hop strings From down and nail it's old banjos and steel guitars if you're floating on that cloud, sell your soul and come on down. I don't wanna go to heaven, I got whiskey here and there. Well, old was young, I had a preacher who spoke a tongue. I was a wildest thing ran around inside. Well, I go to church on Sunday, but I've raised hell by a full day, and I've grown, but I ain't never turned around. Looking on old high strings, sitting down and hear each old banjos and steel guitars. So if you're floating on that cloud, sell your soul and come on down. I don't want to go to heaven if they got whiskey in your Wildest thing I ever seen in the South. 
Well, I'll go to church on Sunday, but I'll be raised hell by Monday, and I'd run, but I ain't never turned around. Something heaven, angels sing while they're plucking on old hot strings, and down in hell it's old banjos and steel guitars. If you're floating on that cloud, sail your soul, and come on now. I don't want to go to heaven with a guy whiskey here in the And down an alien to banjo steel guitar. If you're floating on that cloud, sail your soul and come on down. I don't wanna go to heaven if they got whiskey here in hell. And I don't wanna go to heaven if they got marijuana down in hell. And I don't wanna go to heaven if they got cocaine down in hell. And I don't wanna go to heaven if they got whiskey. And Dusty, you play, you know, you play a modern, a very modern version of country music now, but you also include a lot of the old school songs. Obviously, this documentary is going around. A lot of people are talking about it, country music lovers and not. What is it about that that kind of old country music that you think people really like connect with and why you include it in your shows uh, today still? Uh, I'd say the honesty part of it is the biggest thing. You know, people identify with it because it's songs about real life. You know, and that's the whole thing that attracted to me to it was the lyrics and stuff. It's like the the lyrics are the real important part because obviously there's many types of music, uh, including country, having many types of sub genres or whatever. You know, you got everything from tractor rap clear down to pop country to you know what they call outlaw country to whatever some people call it old school. But there's even you know sub varieties in that. You know. And, Every generation seems to hate the next one sometimes. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It's uh, yeah. That's the biggest part about country music. Uh, you know, I just I, I identify with the 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 honesty that goes along with it, and the um, it's just a it's just a it's a real thing. You know, these older artists, Willie, Patsy Klein, Billy Joe Schaefer. You know, what is it that's different about them that's the, the other because you said kind of the next generation doesn't really like what the last one or, or what the next one is the last mm-hmm. generation doesn't like what the next one is what do you think so different about theirs compared to like the modern stuff and uh, the country that's coming out on the radio um, well a lot of it's just evolution you know people trying new things and you know technology changing the way people like listen to music and all that you know there's you know been a lot of change obviously uh, in the last well I mean 50 years now if you're talking like 1970 where the outlaw movement started all the way until now. Um, <clears throat> uh, people identify with those people. You know, it's like the outlaw movement, for instance. You know, like, what was it? Easy Rider kind of came out and motorcycles and stuff. And, you know, so the, the marketing at the time was probably geared, you know, to that tall kind of, you know, rough-looking, you know, guy like like Waylon Jennings or somebody or, you know, Willie Nelson kind of having the hippie thing with the braids, you know, and the bandana and, and the look was kind of there. And, you know, they just kind of, literally struck the iron, you know, like while it was hot. And, uh, 
you know, just, I think it resonated a chord with people at that time and the culture and what, you know, was going on. I think if I remember right, I remember reading or seeing or something a while back about, uh, honky tonks kind of being more pre- prevalent back then, like with the, uh, uh, dance craze, like the urban cowboy thing too. I think what was that late seventies or, uh, I'm not sure if my times are right. If, uh, you know, it's kind of early in the morning for a honky tonk <laughs> guy, but, <laughs> um, yeah, there was some kind of, uh, I think that's just it, man. Like a lot of it has to do with marketing and stuff too. You know, I mean, you know, music aside, you know, there's, there's so much other business stuff that goes on. I mean, you know, you look at the research that record labels and stuff do, you know, like, like the wanted the outlaws record, for instance, you know, that, you know, it's four different artists, you know, and they pulled tunes from their, uh, each artist catalog that had already been released or about to be released. And they made a, it's literally a compilation record. You know, it's not like they sat out and they go, we're going to make this record. And, mm-hmm. And it became like the first platinum selling country record ever. Um, and yeah, at the time, marketing was great and everything was there and uh, people identified with that. And well, everything has a way of running its course. So then here comes the next generation. And uh, and then you get uh, synth uh, synthesizers introduced and stuff so, and drum machines, you know, start taking their place. Like, would, was it Juice Newton, I think, had some, you know, clap samples and stuff, you know, in the early 80s mm-hmm. uh, country. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting. Some of it's kind of hard to listen to for me, <laughs> but, <laughs> but you know, sometimes you still got, got a memory row, you know? Right. And so you kind of play a, a more modernized change version of honky tonk. Do you have any, do you ever get backlash or anything from like people who like, you know, when you're, when you're adding in crazy effects and, how do you get any negative oh, sure. feedback on it, or do you, is it mostly positive? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not even sure if it's a bad feedback, but some people look at you kind of like cross-eyed and go, what is this hillbilly hipster, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, well, whatever. I mean, but, you know, I, you know, I, growing up, you know, I listened to all kinds of music, you know, it wasn't just country music in my life. You know, I, I you know, I've got a pretty wide listening range of, uh, you know, I played jazz in high school. I was a drummer, you know, and I, you know, I was really into like, uh, Art Blakey and, you know, a little bit of Buddy Rich. Everybody likes Buddy Rich because, you know, his phenomenal drumming skills or whatever, but... Um, just fun to listen to. Yeah, just, and, you know, and just you develop, like, an ear for, like, listening for, like, you know, the improv part of jazz is something I've always loved, you know, like, not so much free jazz, but, you know, musical masterminds that, you know, that understood, like, theory really, like, you know, they, they like, you talked about the... the I'm trying to think if I'm... Uh, Ornette, was it Ornette Coleman or... That wasn't Ornette, it was a drawn a blank here but anyway this guys that like make these circles with you know chords written all the way around it i can't remember what it was called but um literally every chord circle ha- of fifths yeah the circle of fifths that's right yeah. yeah and and uh you know guys that just like understood that and knew how to you know play all the way around you know any kind of form or structure or phrase you know in music and then uh that's kind of what i started doing is start blending things in the country like from everything that um I started, you know, when I first started doing it, you know, I was just like, I want to make something that just sounds just like old golden era country music. Cause I had this old reel reel and I just wanted it to sound like grainy and just old. And then, and then as you kind of, you know, a couple years later, you keep going in with it and keep going with it. And then, and then you start to lose fear of like uh, composure or, or a composition. Like you lose the fear of like, like, I don't, I don't care what anybody thinks anymore. I'm just going to, you know, make music. If I want to put like some garage rock influence into what I'm doing, I'm going to do it. And generally, I think overall it's been a pretty positive, uh, uh, pretty positive feedback from most folks. But you know, I don't know. I 
you know, you get a lot of, Hey, great job. You know, and that, that's always fine, Dandy. And you get a lot of people like, man, I don't know. Like I'm not really into country music and that's fine too. But you know, I generally try to keep the noise on the outside and not let it affect what I do as an artist, you know? Let's talk about your newest album just a little bit. And specifically, I want to talk to you about uh, your first track. We'll go with uh, No One to Blame. And um, I mean, it just comes out kind of paying tribute to a lot of sounds from the American West. And then you really like get into this modernized version uh, or this modern song. How did this whole thing come together? And like, what was the original story behind behind creating this song? Um, well, the song itself, uh, came from a, a demo I'd made and I actually wrote the lyrics with a good friend of mine, Tyler Giles and Brooke Blanche. Um, but we literally, I had to, I had this chord progression and I think I had, um, the first line of the chorus written and maybe the second and I just got stuck. And so we literally all sat down and it was the first time I've had two of the songwriters in the room and we literally chiseled away at a song. Like we sat down and literally gave each other crap left and right. You know, when somebody come up with a stupid line or stupid lyric, it would be like, what the hell is that? And, you know, <laughs> so we literally like kind of belittle each other in this really playful way, you know, like, uh, but you know, nobody was scared of like saying their piece and, and, you know, it was, it was a, it was a great way to work and, uh, I really enjoyed the process and wish we could have done more of that. So hopefully we'll be able to do that in the future. But did it start? beginning to end like you just came up with the first line and then just kept going all the way through yeah exactly yeah when did you know you had your chorus then like did you just do that like is the mathematical formula for it based on like just the song is how it was you know you're like okay we're gonna do two bars of eight Mm -hmm. or whatever and then we're gonna jump into the chorus or yeah well i I basically had an overall uh, idea of how the arrangement of the song like how i wanted the music to kind of go um, you know, I had that idea too. Like I've been, I was, uh, I mean, we, of course, you know, we like to do a lot of experimentation while we record too. So usually there's like a bass track and then, you know, there's kind of like, like, so you might have some drums, bass and guitar, and then, you know, you, you know, you really want the lyrics to be good and then you want, you know, to make sure you're singing good too on top of that. So usually somewhere's kind of in between there where we start tracking, you know, like sometimes we don't always do vocals last. Uh, but I think in that case we might have, and then, um, and then after that, you know, you kind of start putting the instruments on there because it's also fun to get interplay between instruments and the vocals too. If you'll hear like sometimes, I mean, the fiddle in that song kind of dances around what the lead vocal does and, and steel guitar, same time thing, they kind of chime in. And then they also have their own musical conversations with, the, with each other where sometimes they play in harmony where they Mickey Mouse each other. And then there's other times where like there's call and responses that happen, you know. Uh, yeah, it's just a magical thing. Like it, it really helps having really talented musical friends that, you know, like Chad Graves, for instance, who played all over that record, um, and Pat Fiddle, a buddy of ours uh, out of Nashville, um, who's a great fiddle player. So, Cool. Um, we'll talk more about the album in just a second, but let's just pause and let's uh, take a listen to No One to Blame. All right. In a hurry, I couldn't pack my bag. No need for my things, I had to leave them behind. Though I have my reasons, 
you've told me the story before, but and I know that you've you've talked about it a little bit, but you haven't really gone into a lot of detail when I've heard you talk about this on stage. But the process of making this CD, you did it all yourself, and you did it with the help of Chad Graves. Mm-hmm. And describe this room that you guys were working in, like during the time that you were actually like recording the whole album. Well, Gravy might have to help remind me here exactly what was going on, but if I remember right, it was there was an ice storm. It was just, was it close to Christmas? I, I think it was. I think it was right on the holidays, right? It was in December sometime, I think. And um, we had an ice storm come through, and then it snowed on top of the ice, so it was just dangerous as hell to get around town. And uh, we had already made a plan to record for about three or four days, I think. And um, we had most of the ideas ready to go. And I think I had some basic tracks down already um, just for like kind of guiding, you know, everything through um, the songs. Um, I guess you call them scratch tracks in studio lingo. Um, And so Gravy shows up and we have a Christmas tree and a mountain of guitar cases. And then there's like, I don't know how many steel guitars like on the, I mean, you could not walk anywhere in that house without like, picking up an instrument and either playing it or moving it out of your way to get to where you were going. And, you know, guitar pedals, it was kind of like the Indiana Jones of recording gear, you know, cause you're trying not to step on guitar pedals in between. And, uh, and we had cords strung out throughout the house, you know, the bathroom was an ISO booth and all that stuff. And laundry room was another ISO booth. You could stick an amp in there and play that while you record somebody playing piano or something. And, um, so yeah, we, we get, we set everything up and then, uh, uh, somewhere in the middle, I think it was day two or day three, um, Pat, who was playing fiddle on the record, um, got into a car wreck because of the ice oh, and stuff man. and like in a, in a hotel parking lot. And then he, um, he called gravy and he's like, Hey man, I wrecked my car. It's going to be a couple days before it can get fixed. Um, what are you up to? Like, he's like, well, we're actually making a record. Do you know, you want to, uh, come hang out with us? Like, you know, we'll feed you and, and we'll play music. And it was like, okay. So he came out and, uh, and that's how he got involved and, um, but yeah, it was, it, it, of course the weather didn't let up. And then, so the four day recording session turned into about seven, I think, and just continued on. So, wow. And yeah, but a lot of it was just, we were up, you know, we would be up until five thirty in the morning and then coffee would start again at seven thirty. There wasn't really any sleep. It was just kind of like a lull, I guess you call it, you know, <laughs> like in the chaos. And then, cause it, we just worked so intensely, you know, like we've always worked really well together and it just kept yeah, it just flowed. And then like when you just flow, you just like you just do it until like you're just completely like I didn't even when we were done. I didn't feel exhaustion like I, I didn't feel like we had still tapped all the creativity out of that particular record yet. So we probably could have kept going, but uh, we both both might be divorced. <laughs> if that would have happened. So so I'm trying to imagine this if you have all of this stuff and how are you incorporating all of it together then into like into each song? Are you just using like one guitar and one sound effect for like one note in a song? And then you move like, you know, you're doing this in every song, just like add a little bit or. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing too. Sometimes arrangement, you know, arrangements can be also, uh, can benefit from being subtractive. So sometimes you just build a bunch of stuff up and then go back down, chisel back through it and take things out. You know, um, there's just a lot of different ways of working, you know, um, in that particular case, sometimes we chop things up. Sometimes it'd be perfect. I'm like, Oh no, we just like that. Let's just leave that the way it is. Or, 
Um, you know, but a lot of it, yeah, just experimentation, you know, and again, I keep going back to the, the fear, the lack of fear in, uh, composition, you know, and getting it, you know, just not being scared to be different and, you know, do something different that you think some old hillbilly out in Georgia is going to be like, this ain't country music or whatever, you know? Yeah. Cause it's still country music to me, you know, or maybe somebody else, um, but maybe not to, you know, I don't know. That's not my decision to make, you know, yeah. I just make the music. So, well, and you kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier and the, a little bit of what you're saying brings it up then it's so why why specifically is country or your your style of country like what you chose to like really pursue in music if you you know i know that you've had other bands mm-hmm. um but this one seems to be the one that's sticking mm-hmm. so why country yeah, that that's a really good question i still can't figure it out <laughs> You know, I, I think it just, it's a big part of who I am. You know, I grew up on a farm and, uh, uh, my parents, you know, they, my dad, he runs cows and stuff and he's been doing that for a while. So there's like the, the actual rural farm aspect, which is a, you know, lifestyle I really enjoy. And I've always enjoyed cowboy culture in general, you know, um, always enjoyed, you know, country and stuff, but, uh, it just kind of, um, it's, it's one of those things that I think it just resonates really well with, with, uh, yeah, it just resonates with who I am as a person. It just, you know, it, it just, it, when I play it, like I, I feel like who, I am who I am or I am who I'm supposed to be, you know, like, I feel like it, it just, uh, if that makes any sense at all, <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, yeah. It just, it just feels like a big part of my life, you know, and music in general is, and you know, like I said, I, I try not to get too big into the whole, is it country or isn't country type of thing. Cause I just, like I said, I'm a fan of music first and foremost, you know, far more than I'm a musician. And, uh, uh, you could call me a country musician or a honky tonker and you, but to me, I'm just a, a musician or whatever, a fan, of, you know, fan of music. And, and I, you know, like I'm not scared to get up and, you know, play with a jazz band or a funk band or, you know, even a hip hop group if they, you know, wanted to make some, something horrible with me. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, overall I just, you know, yeah, I just, just love sitting down and picking, you know? So, um, it just happens to kind of come out with a little bit of a twang. So, right. You have used in the past the branding Kansas city cowboy, mm-hmm. but you're not living in Kansas city anymore. So oh, are you still branding sh- with the Kansas city cowboy? <laughs> yeah. Might, yeah. Might as well. I mean, I guess that'd be the dusty rust origin story. You know, he just kind of crawled out of the, the Missouri mud somewhere and, you know, <laughs> billied up to the bar and, Everybody was like, well, where's your, where's your horse? And like, well, sorry, it's just all hat, no horse. I got a guitar though. And, and, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, Kansas city was a great home for us for like five years. And, uh, we had a lot of, a lot of, a lot of awesome times, spent a lot of awesome friends down here and got to play with some amazing acts and, and musicians and, uh, you know, doing the, uh, Thursday nights down at the Westport saloon, you know, every Thursday night, you know, just playing for four hours and all the folks we got to meet doing that. I mean, you know, it's basically home. And I think the brand would sticks with that just because like we did it for so long here that, you know, if you think about five years, you know, like another 20 years could go by and I'd still like the still the origin came out of Kansas city. I mean, granted we were doing this kind of stuff out. My wife and I were playing out in Portland with the same, some of the same songs and stuff. But, um, I mean, we just, we didn't really get serious about it until we decided to sell everything we owned, get into a crappy old Astro van and drive around the country until we found a place that we wanted to live. So so what made what made you think that like Kansas City was that place when you guys decided to leave the West Coast? Um, 
I could tell you, um, we got down here and on our way down here, we like everybody was so incredible at the saloon. We had such a good response when we played our first show there and it was just her and I, I was sitting on a suitcase with a bass drum pedal to keep time while she played bass and I played guitar. And that was our band at the time, you know, when we first got out here and then we went all the way down to Nashville, um, played there a little bit and we actually were there for about a month cause we thought we were maybe going to live there, but it got too freaky cause you know, we'd already left Portland, Oregon and we kept meeting people that we knew from Portland or people that knew our friends in Portland. And then it just felt like Portland. And <laughs> yeah, I was like, I got to get out of this town, you know? And, uh, so it just didn't fit, you know, it didn't feel right. But when we came through here, like Kansas city had this magnetic, uh, thing going on for it. And the music scene was incredible too. Like the blue scene here is amazing. Uh, jazz scene's amazing. Um, and it's affordable to be an artist too. You can actually pay rent here and be a, be an artist. You, you don't, you don't have to sling drywall mud all day, you know, if you don't want to. You had an entire album that was the Kansas city cowboy. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your favorite track off that? And does it, does that album, is that different for you? Because that was one of the first ones that you had. Yeah. You here. Yeah. It was one of those, cause that, that's the one of those weird things where I, you know, wound up playing everything on that record. And I just started learning how to play the banjo. Um, so my favorite track off that record is probably Countryside Ride. Um, I can't remember. It's like, I think I recorded that one maybe during the end of that recording process, but I still, you know, still working on, you know, like I'm always working on myself, working on getting to be a better player, better musician, better songwriter, whatever. Um, but you know, some of those songs like, uh, you know, I felt I could have done better on, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, this whole record was, I think there was some spots there. Every time I listen to it, I, I, you know, go back and go, Oh, Ooh, could have done better on that one, but I think Countryside Ride was pretty close to like as good as I could have done in that time period. Um, you know, like I just got that little banjo riff going, and it, and it took me a couple of days to like get the roll right and just get my fingers working right. And uh, and then you know it, I kept building on the arrangement, and it, and it and it happened so seamlessly. Like everything I did, like just added and added and added, and then and, and then by the time that song was done, I was pretty proud of it. I was like, you know, I thought, oh man, there's gonna be tons of people gonna like love this song. This is like you know, had like a, you know, an 808 bass drum in the background. And, and then I was, I was so excited to show the world. And then I can't remember if I got, it got posted to YouTube or something. And I think after the first month it had like three views or something. <laughs> so <laughs> it didn't exactly like take off like I thought it would, but you know, I, I was still one of those moments where I was like, I was pretty proud of that one. So you kind of mentioned this. So what, as an artist, you know, when, even when you're not getting, a great response on something that you build up in your own head. Mm-hmm. Why, how do you just keep, or why do you just keep pushing forward and to continue to put out more art, even though it's not necessarily getting the, you know, yeah, you're not getting the attention that you think that it yeah, fully notoriety or deserves. Something. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, man, you know, the biggest part of it is just cause it's a big part of who you are. Like you have to do it. Like you have to create, you have to have output, you know, that's like your, that's your, your release, you know, like that's just what gets you off. You know, it's like just, uh, putting one foot in front of the next. I mean, if, if every day I came home after work and I sat down and I turned on Netflix, you know, and I didn't, you know, and, and then maybe watch some football and then, uh, and then get up and go to work the next day and then, you know, wait for the weekend to come and be so tired from work and all the, you know, like I, I just, 
to me, that just sounds like being, might as well be in prison, you know, like, like just, you know, you just, you know, you're just living to work, you know, where even though it is work, you know, and, and it's, a, it, it is a job, you know, being an artist, um, it, it's something that, you know, when it's a part of who you are, it makes it that much easier to just keep going forward with it. it it's, uh, um, everybody's got their own definition of success, you know, and, uh, you know, mine is just at the end of the day, like, how did you feel about that performance or how did you feel about that? You know, just like, you know, you're not always going to win every crowd over, you know, you can, I can't tell you how many nights we've played in these bars. Like gravy and I've gone to certain shows and played biker bars. Like, Oh, these people are going to love us. And they're all clear on the other side of the room. And they're talking <laughs> louder than we're playing. And you know, they don't, they don't care at all about what we're doing, you know, and it doesn't matter. Like we're still playing and we're still doing what we're, we're there to do. And, and, uh, you know, it, it's not always it's not always uh you know roses but it's uh you know i have zero regrets though about you know because every every gig good bad or another i mean it's it all adds up into uh you know what 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 you what you become you know it, it just it builds i guess it's character building maybe i don't know but yeah it, it uh makes for good stories too you know it's like a, it's all a big journey it's it's life art art is life right does that make sense? It's art. It's art. It? Yeah. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's let's go back. Let's listen to uh, Countryside Ride. All right.
If you're enjoying this episode of the Crazeology Podcast, make sure to click subscribe to keep up with new episodes. We also have other interviews with musicians that live in and tour through Kansas City, including Brooke Blanche and Ben Folds. Also, make sure to check out other podcasts from Fox 4 Kansas City, like Getting Comfortable with Mark Alford and It's a Date with Kim Burns and Shannon O'Brien. Now let's get back to my conversation with Dusty Rust. You and your wife have been playing music together for quite a while, Chelsea. Mm-hmm. And um, how has that, has your relationship changed by the fact that you're musicians and you're playing together and this is not just what you do as artists, but what you're doing as uh, partially a business and, mm-hmm. and, 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 you know, these things can be tough on any relationship. Sure. Well, I'll tell you what, um, especially on the business end of things, it's been the best decision I ever made to start playing music, music with my wife. Cause, uh, uh, she's got a far better brain than I do. <laughs> and, uh, she's got the acumen to, uh, to see things over and be responsible. So, uh, whereas myself, um, you know, I, I could easily spend gig money, you know, uh, on things that I shouldn't be, you know, but she's, uh, yeah. And, 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 you know, the biggest thing with us is like, she works hard at playing bass and it's been great for me because it forces me to sit down and practice and it forces us to, to work at things together. And, um, I think that's, I think it's actually strengthened our marriage, you know, over the time. Cause um, yeah, we played in separate bands for a while and then, you know, I took off and did a tour, uh, before I started doing the dusty rust thing, um, for about, I was gone for about close to three months and didn't see her. And then I got home and I was like, man, we need to play in a band together. Cause I'm not going to, you know, we're not going to be separated for three months at a time while I do this kind of stuff. You know, it was just, uh, so that's kind of when I made a decision like, yeah, you're going to play country music with me. And, and she didn't really like, I think she may have listened to some classic country records, but not, you know, she was really into, um, riot girls stuff and, uh, um, you know, the garage scene stuff like the Sonics and stuff like that. And, uh, she was just like, what country? Okay. And, and, uh, yeah, I kind of, I maybe forced her into it a little bit. Like, honey, you have to do this for me. And <laughs> she maybe she just felt sorry for me. So she went along with it and, and it's worked out real well ever since. Kind of obviously like, you know, you, you just said, obviously it takes a lot of practice to consistently get better, be a good musician. Um, practicing, country and creating that sound is very different than you know a lot of the music that's out there today so how do you create an actual like how do you make something sound country why why would people just know that genre specifically by that word yeah um i guess it'd be your it's about your attitude and approach i think is the biggest thing like when you listen to like George Jones is like probably one of the, if not arguably the best country singer, you know, in the history of country music. Um, and he's got a very distinctive drawl when he sings and there's been countless imitations of his particular drawl. Everything from like Travis, uh, Randy Travis is like, comes to mind as like a, a huge imitator of like, uh, George Jones and like, um, and you listen to the way like Travis Tritt sings and the way they approach the mic and the way they just, you know, the way it rolls off the, the front of their mouth, you can hear them like trying to sing. It's like, it's, you know, even, you know, Travis Tritt, for instance, like you can hear like 
he does that cover that Elvis song, you know, Trouble, and he just freaking, you know, it's a rocking song. But that approach he takes to sing kind of like George, you know, it 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 sounds country. It just it gives it that twang and that flavor. Um, it's just all those unmistakable bullet points, like that draw, and then the and then the little chime of the steel guitar once in a while. I mean, you know, like even uh, what's the uh, the hip hop hop song that came out uh, the the dirt road one. Uh, uh, the, the hip hop artist just came out with a song and oh. it caused a hell of a controversy. Are you talking? It's like the the Get Up Challenge or whatever. No, it's not the Get Up no, Challenge, it was, but uh, it's a something. Um, oh man, what it's is that? Lil Nas X came out with that song, uh, and he actually it charted on the country charts, and Billboard actually uh, you know said no, like this isn't country enough, which is absolute horse crap because. What? Yeah, like, okay, it's like, okay, so Sam Hunt can come in here with his basically EDM music, you know, right. and that's, <laughs> and I don't, honestly, I don't understand how, like, they even call Sam Hunt country music, whether or not, you know, if you're into some, like, if there were qualifiers for, like, what it is, because I listen to Sam Hunt's music, and I don't really even find a hint of country in it, like, right. I don't find it in the attitude, the approach, or the drawl, or anything, and then Lil Nas comes out, I, I, think, I think, I think it's older, older. Oh, man, I'm gonna get a lot of crap for not knowing the name of the song because everybody knows the song, but apparently you not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, uh, anybody? 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 Oh, no. Man. Um, so anyway, he does this <laughs> song because he plays a lot of Red Dead Redemption video games, and he's got this song that comes out, and uh, um, and to me, like the lyrical content alone was more country than like you know 98 of you know what qualifies for country music on country radio today. Plus, he's got a banjo in it, and they're like, oh no, it's too hip hop because it's got the trap beat in it, but. It's like, you know, it's crap. Like, they should let him stay on the country charts for this. You can call it whatever you want to call it, you know. It, it, when At the end of the day, it's still just music, you know. So, like I said, you know, music really, you know, people people like to make, you know, people like to categorize things and put up borders in it. But, I mean, you know, I don't know. Do you think they shouldn't? I mean, do you think, like, people should stop considering, I mean, because even, the, like, like you said, Billboard has different charts for different kinds of genres do you think it should all just be like people should just there shouldn't be stations that just play one genre of music there shouldn't be well there's there's a lot of radio that does already they i call it the mono genre where the music is so so intermixed that it just all sounds like the same you know like yeah it's uh you know because if you went to your pop station to your local modern country music station and i'm not putting it down it's just if that's what you listen to i mean it's hard to tell the difference between the two, you know, like Sam Hunt, for instance, is, you know, and I'm not picking on him. I really it's just, hate Sam Hunt. Yeah, it's not a hate <laughs> thing. It's just, I'm saying like, he basically makes pop music, you know, which is it, fine, you know, right. and, and, and people love it. And, and, and I'm not putting them down, not putting him down, but it's, it's to me, it sounds, it just sounds like pop music. And then if you went to the pop station, it'd fit right in with everything else they're playing right next to, uh, uh, you know, the Google dolls or anything else or whatever they might have on there. Uh, but, um, yeah, genres. I mean, I think the the importance of genres probably comes from uh, you know the culture and kind of where the music's coming from. It's kind of an identifier, you know, like because you know that's that's how that's how you it's the thing you use to describe music. But you know, coming from a musician standpoint, you know, um, it doesn't you know barriers are meant to be crossed and you know blurred and whatever else you know, and that's what makes music interesting because. 
you know, Johnny Cash, if you just listen to that same train beat, you know, for the next 60 years, every day of your life, you know, like, it's like sooner or later you're going to go like, man, isn't there anything else going on around here? You know, even, even though you might, you know, love the hell out of that now. Right. But, but, you know, maybe you need to put an 808 bass drum behind that thing, you know, (laughs) make it thump a little bit and you're like, oh, hey, you know, something a little different, you know. Well, you have a song, like, obviously your music isn't just catered towards like traditional country sounds. And like, we talked a little bit about that process, but, um, like one of your songs, Arizona, I mean, there's like kind of this end part where you just like, you just send people like, you know, the song goes for most pretty normal. And then all of a sudden you get real out there. Mm -hmm. Um, is that, are you drawing from some pop influences on, on those kinds of things? Or is that something where it's like you're, you just are trying something new and it's stuck and you liked it? Yeah. Um, it's a combination of things. I mean, um, I've always liked music, uh, like f- music that flows like flute, like, uh, like in free jazz, you know, it's like, it's like a train of thought type of thing. And, um, I've always loved, uh, different musical techniques being put into music, you know, like, um, you know, there's the jam band stuff where you can just like, you got a form, you can just play over that and there's improv going on. Well, sometimes it's kind of fun to take the improv across the entire arrangement where, you know, things can break down and things can go, you know, it, it makes music more dangerous to listen to because you know it's not you're like wait what's happening this is not at all where i expected this to go and and in a way you can use it it's it's useful like almost like a hook you know like it because it just it, it'll catch you off guard you know like wait whoa i didn't see that happening or where that you know and uh yeah it, it's just one of those things it, it, it's part of being creative too like you know because sometimes you know when you play guitar and you're hitting that note and you can only bend it you know, strike it, you know, finger pick it, you know, play it with your teeth. You know, sometimes you can, you know, bend the neck of the guitar, like do anything you can to like bring something else different about that particular note, you know, cause you're trying to make a statement. And, uh, uh, sometimes that's what happens. You know, you're like, well, I ran out of ideas here. So maybe I'm just going to take the reverb pedal and just smash it on the floor, you know, 15 times in a row, like, just like, you know, with it, you know, what's going to happen now? What do you think of this? And it just, you know, gets you all worked up. And then <laughs> next thing you know, you got like, what? <laughs> I guess you're working yourself. Yeah, just, working, just thinking about it. Like, hmm, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Well, that's the whole idea. Like, we're actually starting to work on a new record um, these, uh, this this winter. So we're pretty stoked about that. We've been doing a lot of writing and stuff. And uh, just talking about making records is making me want to make another record right, nice. right now. So our I'm curious, since you worked a lot with uh, musicians that are Missouri-based, Kansas City and Springfield, mm-hmm. uh, are you working with different musicians, the same musicians, or are you doing this one, this next one completely on your own? Um, well, um, I always, you know, my Missouri musician friends are like my lifelong, you know, partners, you know, so like if they're up there, they're going to be playing on my record, you know, for sure. Um Right now, I actually have the same drummer. Uh, Tyler actually recently moved up to Seattle, so um, he's a lot closer proximity to me. Uh, so we're, we've uh, we've actually played quite a few shows now um, over the last couple of weeks. And then uh, one of my old bandmates, actually Chelsea and I have our old bandmate, Lizzie. Um, she's now playing piano for us. Um, and we've always had a really good musical chemistry and stuff, and I've been good friends for years. Um, so she was really a seamless fit as soon as we got up there. Just She started playing with us and... Um, it just worked out fine. So, um, 
Yeah, it could be anybody. I mean, we, we even started looking into doing some duets and stuff on the next record, you know, and, uh, you know, kind of going that route. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, our musical family is, is pretty, pretty broad. And, uh, you know, I'm not scared to let anybody come in and just, you know, sing a track or, you know, play something on it or whatever. So it could be anybody. We don't have exact plans yet or arrangements made. But, um, yeah, I mean... It could we could have all all kinds of guest appearances, you know. So, who knows? We can get Sturgill Simpson to come on or something. I don't know. <laughs> all right, this is uh, Arizona by Dusty Russ.
That's it for this episode of the Crazeology Podcast. Today's episode was produced by myself with production assistance from Jacob Orlowski and Stephen Trammell and editing by Jacob Orlowski. You can find more episodes at fox4kc.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I can't help but mention about two and a half years ago, I helped Dusty record a video to promote a music festival in Westport. We have a link of that on our Facebook page. Just search Crazeology. We have more episodes coming soon, but until then, this is Airstream Trailer by Dusty Rust. Shine like a